Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're your HR analytics dashboard, helping you bring all your disparate and disconnected employee data into one source of truth. That's right. We know most of you HR and people leaders out there are pulling messy spreadsheets together, trying to tell a data-driven story of your workforce. It's tedious, it's manual, and it's time-consuming. Well, look no further. That's why we created Employee Cycle, your very own HR analytics dashboard that has pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR sisters out there, so you can pull all that data into one place to view, share, track, and analyze all from one place. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, get a demo. Would love to chat with you about how we can automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me, because today we have an awesome guest on the show. So please help me welcome Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse. And today we're talking about what does employee well-being actually mean? Donald, welcome to the podcast. woo Donald! Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to just even be with you. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I know you're a pretty busy guy, so we really appreciate it. So, Donald, before we get into the topic, we're going to kick this show off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Oh, how did I end up in HR? That That is a great question. Um, Full transparency, I actually had no intentions of going into HR. My thought process was uh, to go to law school and be an attorney. And uh, the chief human resource officer that I had at the Department of Defense Agency, I was working at Defense Commissary Agency, her name is Kate Kennedy. And Kate pulled me to the side and said, look, I know you have plans to go to law school. I know you have plans to join the Marine Corps and do judge advocate general work. and." I think that there's an opportunity for you to be rather influential in business. And if you're open to it, I think there's uh, some line of sight on how we can leverage you on on our team, on the HR team uh, in employee and labor relations, which is very similar to uh, law school or practicing law. But you would go up against attorneys for arbitrations. And I just think that there's a huge path for you forward if you if you're open to it. And so from that conversation, you know, the next steps ensued. I uh, got enrolled in grad school, specialization in human resource management, and started working in employee and labor relations. And, you know, multiple collective bargaining agreements later, uh, multiple uh, arbitrations later, um, I found myself really enjoying this thought process around being able to impact uh, people, uh, particularly through policies, programs, and processes. So. Yeah, that's how that's how I landed here. Not intended, but uh, I'm happy I, I I listened to her. So shout out to Kate Kennedy for her wisdom. Kate Kennedy, thank you so much for recommending Donald to be in HR. Yeah, law school probably would have worked out, but the HR community is so much better for having him in it. So today we're kicking off with the topic: What does employee well-being actually mean? I think this is such an interesting topic because. On one hand, this is very important to the employee experience, but on the other hand, it's such an overutilized buzzword 
that it really takes some experienced individuals to really break down what this means. So it doesn't just seem like or sound like HR jargon that's just being spit out on LinkedIn every day. So Donald, we really want your help to understand what does employee well-being really mean? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I so I think that there's there's a multiple ways I would answer that. I think well-being on its surface is this idea of people being able to be comfortable and and healthy. And if I unpack that a little bit more, like I think that there's multiple layers that influence said comfort and said healthiness. Some of the things that come to mind for me are around emotional well-being and this idea of around like being able for folks to be able to have almost like a mental space, a healthy space uh, for their thoughts. And then I start to think about like intellectual uh, well-being in this thought process around like, are they not only being challenged, but are we leveraging their cognitive abilities? And then the other three, I think, would be around like occupational, physical and social, which is this idea around like, are they growing at work? Are they feeling fulfilled? Have you created an environment for them to be able to do the best work or most meaningful work of their lives? And then last but certainly not least, social, which is this safe space for folks to be able to develop connection and connection, not just with their colleagues or groups inside of the organization, but also with the communities in which an organization may operate or serve. And so when I look at those five layers of well-being, those are the things to me that contribute to folks being able to feel comfortable and healthy. And when people are comfortable and healthy, I think it allows you to tap into their potential. And so for our team, we kind of focus on like how are we helping people unleash that potential, uh, which is very exciting. I love when the guest just set the table for me and create the agenda. (laughs) Because this is exactly what we're going to talk about. So we're going to dig into these five different areas, emotional, intellectual, occupational, physical, and social. But I first want to double tap on this idea of feeling comfortable. Because that's not a word that I typically hear HR leaders talking about. And as I mentioned in the prep for this, I've done over 300 podcasts. And the word comfortable usually isn't a word of how HR leaders describe employees of the workforce. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah, like I think so much emphasis has been placed on belonging and belonging is important because it means that you've created an environment where people at least feel on the surface that they're being included or that they're thought of. But this thought process around comfort to me is around a place of relaxation and do they feel needed or wanted? and you know, so much inclusion work right now is about having diverse faces in a room and making sure that, you know, equity and equality are present. But if I don't feel needed or wanted, then I don't feel comfortable. And I think as we start to look at opportunities for recalibrating benefit strategies, when we start to look at opportunities to add additional events that allow people to have closer connection it's this idea of comfort comfort, and how are we creating spaces and opportunities for talented people at work to feel comfortable. And if they have to put on this mask or if they have to have these walls of apprehension and anxiety, I think that falls on us as leaders, particularly people leaders to, to change that. we like, to me, that's what's most important. And so at Greenhouse, 
everything that we do, I want to make sure that folks feel like there's some comfort. And even if we disagree, do they have the comfort of knowing that we can disagree respectfully and that I still mean them well and that we still want to make sure that their well-being is prioritized? So that's the difference between when I say how I would define comfort or being comfortable as opposed to you know some of the other words that I see many of my colleagues using. As a podcast host, one of the things that I try to do is to think about the questions that the listeners will have. If they could tap me and say, Bruce, oh, please ask this question. I know you can't hear me, but ask. And the thing that I'm thinking right now that I'm sure a lot of HR leaders probably want to know is as you're thinking about making employees feel comfortable, how do you also put them put them in a position where they feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it seems as though there are areas where they need to have that comfort, but then they also need to be pushed and grow in areas where they need to feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Otherwise the experience that they're having at work just might not be as exciting. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, I think it does. Look, I think one of the things that we do very well is this thought process around virtual realities. And virtual realities is a session that is actually led by uh, a number of folks from diverse backgrounds. But the idea behind it is like, how can we have conversations and share resources with one another about the realities that we're having outside of the workplace? And many of those times, those experiences are also influential in what we see inside of the workplace. But in large part, it's outside influences of the office that then influence the selves that we then bring inside of the organization. And I'll give you an example. Like one of our recent VR sessions was around anti-Asian hate crimes. And what does that look like? And how do we have this conversation that many of our folks inside of our Asian Pacific Islander community are really facing when they leave the proverbial workplace, right? Now, 70% of our organization is distributed and many of our folks have not necessarily physically walked inside of an office setting for quite some time just based on COVID-19. But like when you see some of these hate crimes against that community, that's their reality. And so our VR session was really geared towards having that conversation. And it wasn't just for Asian Pacific Islander talent, because there's opportunities for us that don't fall inside of that community to be an ally in facilitating those conversations moving forward or giving our time and treasure towards those causes that intentionally address the realities of that particular community. And so that that's one of the ways that we're able to um, increase the level of comfort of folks inside of Greenhouse because they're like, oh my goodness, like you're prioritizing the world that I have to live in when I leave this Zoom call or when I leave this office setting. I think the other things that we do is like we have these free IC conversations and it's this idea of like having intentional conversation. And one of the things we talked about, at least on my first free IC conversation, Shout out to Emmett for encouraging me to attend even in week one was this thought process around purpose and like, what do we believe our purpose is in life and how does that purpose materialize itself during work hours and what we do 
whether it be in our own occupation and career, or if it's in some of the philanthropic efforts that we choose to donate our treasure to. And so just like having those kind of conversations, you're increasing the level of comfort. And I believe all of these things around comfort is really centered on this thought process around proximity and this idea that you can build bridges with people, not barriers. And I often tell people that uh, a stranger we talk about strangers and we talk about friends differently, but your best friends were once strangers. And so lucky for you and lucky for them, someone was courageous enough to build proximity with one another. And thusly over time, they've demonstrated actions that have morphed them from stranger status to friend status. And I think the same thing is that I think that's a huge opportunity for workplaces where we've coined people as colleagues for so long and coworkers for so long that the pandemic has changed that because we're having conversations where I'm sitting at the kitchen table or my kid is walking inside of a Zoom meeting. And so you're forced to see things about me that you would not normally see. And so now that you had that level of proximity with me, like, how are you intentionally going to help me build that bridge between one another? And so that to me also aids and driving comfort with one another. And so I'm super excited about some of the events that we have planned from our people experience team that will be intentional in creating this meaningful connection uh, between people. And so, yeah, like that to me is one of the biggest influences around comfort. That's awesome. And I appreciate you allowing me to go so deep into that tangent. And so as we come back to these five areas of well-being that you describe for us, I want to kick this off with emotional well-being, which seems to be almost similar to what you were talking about in regards to those intentional conversations. But around emotional well-being, what does that look like? And for HR leaders that are trying to make sense of this for their orgs, what should they be thinking about when they're trying to implement emotional well-being into their organization? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Bruce. I think it centers on this thought process around emotional safety or psychological safety. And we often tell people we want them to bring their whole selves to the office place. But then when that happens and they're doing so in an authentic way, do you have an opportunity for them to really show you in a you know somewhat respectful way, but like the, the depth of their emotions? And so we know like here recently, right, there's been a number of shootings that have happened across uh, the U.S., where we technically have, you know, talent, what we call greenies. We have greenies that live in those locations. Are we creating space for them? You know, kudos to our CEO, Daniel. We had a recent decision that came out of the Supreme Court and we gave folks the opportunity to take the rest of the day off. They didn't need to take PTO. They didn't need to take sick leave. They didn't need to take vacation time. The magnitude and the intensity of said decision would make it very difficult for some folks to work. And so, like, how are you creating this space, this safe space for folks to be able to, uh, you know, embrace those emotions that they may be having? And to me, that is is really rooted in emotional well-being or the psychological safety that so many are looking for inside of the workplace and unfortunately uh, have not been able to find. Well said. Tell me about intellectual well-being and how is that different than emotional well-being and what's the strategy around that? Yeah. So this thought process around continuous learning and having this opportunity to lead with inquiry or lead with curiosity. And 
allowing folks to be able to draw upon their past experiences in order to help shape or develop some of the activities that we're going to have at Greenhouse moving forward, whether that mean uh, a new process or a new product that we bring to market or a different way of the way that we, our way, our, our norms, our cultural norms. And I'll give you an example of this, right? So, you know, we have Slack is very big at our organization, as I can imagine it is at so many others. And we have these prompts that alert people when they're using language that may not be as culturally sensitive through an inclusion, diversity, equity, and allyship lens. And so we had someone raise their hand and say, hey, look, like I was just talking to a few friends and used the term, hey, guys. Then I get this long spiel from Slack. Like it was so off-putting because it wasn't that term, while it could be used to not be describing everybody in the audience or the population that I'm speaking to, like it just created an unwarranted issue because I was talking to a group of folks that this was applicable to. And so we went back and we revised what that Slack prompt should look like. And we we garnered some insight from folks that were here for a number of years from a 10-year perspective and also folks that were here for a number of days. And this is it's just this idea of like, do you create a space for folks to be creative and intellectually curious? And I have found that when you do that, allow it allows people to not only be engaged, but it's beyond engagement. It's this thought process around fulfillment. Is their voice heard when they speak up? Because if, if they are, they'll speak up more often. And typically the greatest ideas are already inside of the organization. So that's what I mean by like this idea around intellectual well-being. Got it. So let's keep going down through the list. This is really interesting. Talk to our listeners about occupational well-being. Uh, yeah. The biggest thing here is around like, how are we ensuring that folks are able to grow and be enriched and also financial stability? Right. So I'm going to kudo, I'm going to give a kudos to Layla, who is our director of people experience. And she talked about like, so many times when people join an organization, they have to make this choice between being respected and rewarded. So like when you're rewarded, that's typical of the occupational safety, right? That's the financial well-being. It's the compensation around base salary, short-term incentive, and long-term incentive and equity if applicable. But this thought process around being respected, well, that's on the emotional well-being. And so many times people are willing to choose occupational well-being because they have families and they have partners and they have care, their caregivers. But like at Greenhouse, we don't want folks to have to select or choose between being respected or rewarded or even recognized. And so that occupational side, that that financial stability side, that respect that folks are uh, anticipating from a financial component, those are what I mean by occupational well-being. So we look for ways to make sure that we are Um, staying not only in line with market, but rewarding people appropriately. I'm learning a whole lot here. This is awesome. Talk to us about physical well-being. Yeah, physical well-being. That's a great one. I think this one, I mean, most people know these are, you know, you'll see folks leveraging um, the health uh, firms of the world that are out there, which is around like nutrition and sleep and recovery. And like, what does that look like? And do you have um, relationships with leaders in the space that allow for that to happen. Think uh, like, you know, MSK is big right now. So companies like Hinge Health, right? Like they're focused on like 
what does that look like from a health component? But like, do you have a nutritionist on staff or do you work with folks that may be, uh, that may help talent that have suffer from sleep anxiety or sleep, sleep apnea. And so it's this whole thought process around like the physical self of talent. What are we doing to aid them? Um, and making sure that their physical well-being is always, you know, top of mind or a priority and then bridging that that relationship with potential vendors that allow for that to happen. It could also be things like gym subsidies or even making sure that the physical environment in which they walk into at an organization, that those things are, you know, ergonomic and things of that nature. So, yeah, that physical well-being is very, very, very important. And then last but not least, social well-being. Yeah, social, right? The, I, at the core of every human, we thrive on relationship. We are a relationship being. And so this thought process of how are we creating opportunities and developing um, intentional spaces for connection to occur. And this thought, uh, thought process around uh, increasing a sense of belonging and making sure that folks feel like they have reliable support inside of the organization. So you see that materialize through affinity groups or employee resource groups or business resource groups. It also materializes through things like allyship or mentoring programs or shadow programs. Um, it also materializes in offsites and making sure that you're curating this space for folks to be able to build bridges with one another, which you know I call proximity. And so that social connection is very important. And it's not just in the workplace. It's also in the community. So like, how are we, when we choose to give philanthropic dollars, when we talk about the social in ESG or corporate, corporate social responsibility for, you know, donation matching or fundraising, like, or crisis response, are we donating our dollars to social groups, uh, whether they be nonprofit in nature or, you know, sometimes for profit in nature that are moving the needle on the priorities of what our talent is prioritizing from a social lens. And that to me is huge, right? Like it allows folks to feel like you're prioritizing them and the connections that they have, not just inside of the proverbial office, but also in the communities in which they live, work and play. And social well-being is where I think companies have a huge opportunity because it's been neglected for so long due to the fact that you had a physical structure that made it easier to disconnect from work and life. Uh, unfortunately, that is no longer the reality and the pandemic has accelerated our opportunity to be able to bridge those two worlds together. Donald, this is amazing and I really appreciate you breaking down all these types of well-being, but I'm sure HR leaders are thinking, this is a lot. <laughs> I hear you, but how do I do all this? <laughs> and how do I prioritize this? And it's this sounds like I need to hire five, 10 people to do all this. How do we keep our listeners feeling overwhelmed from all of these amazing things that you were talking that you were talking about and saying that they should think about, but somehow start from one place that can allow them to move into all this? Because I find after talking to hundreds, if not thousands of HR leaders, you find that a lot of initiatives never get started because they just seem too big, too bold, too ambitious. And so if you could just help HR leaders figure out where to start so that they don't feel too overwhelmed and this never happens, 
what words would you say to them? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Bruce. Look, I think the easiest way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And there's nothing wrong with a crawl, walk, run philosophy. I would encourage all of your listeners to really focus on three things, which is how do we enhance our experiences? How do we nurture culture? And how do we develop people? And part of the ways of part of the way of scoping out that strategy is looking at the different those three different buckets and looking at current activities. Like are the current activities yielding what we what we need from a well-being perspective? And if not, great. That tells you what you might want to stop. It also may tell you some of the things that you want to continue if they are yielding that 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 output. But the other thing I would say is like there's opportunities to start new things. And look at Greenhouse, we welcome this thought process of a thought exchange where if there's some of your listeners out there on people teams, like reach out to us. We're willing to share some of the learnings that we've had. Um, I'm a firm believer that the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement and the furniture in that room is opportunity. And so there's no reason for people teams to feel overwhelmed because you're not going to get it all done overnight. We didn't get here where we are today overnight. The opportunity, the furniture in that room is where I would say focus on, you know, one piece of furniture at a time, which is you may be looking at, hey, how do I enhance experiences for people that are going in the physical offices first? Or maybe you're like greenhouse and the majority of your folks are distributed and not going into offices. Maybe you prioritize that, that group of talent first, but you know, crawl, walk, run, take it one step at a time and know that greenhouse is here for folks that are looking for some uh, learnings that we may have or some best practices. You know, we welcome the opportunity to, to share some of that knowledge and do more of a thought exchange. Donald, thank you so much for being such an awesome podcast guest for dropping so many gems of wisdom. And by the way, if you ever hear me say on another podcast that the biggest room <laughs> is the room for improvement, I hope you don't have that trademark because I think I'm going to start putting that into my episodes. So uh, if I need to pay your royalty for it, just let me know. I got you. But that was awesome. That was brilliant. But again, thank you so much for enhancing our HR community and for taking the time to share your experiences. So thanks a lot, Donald. Bruce, thanks for having me. My my only request would be if you could just give me a a citation in the footnotes and say shout out to Donald at Greenhouse for this quote. I'm totally fine with it. No, No licensing needed. You got it. I'll even put a little small picture of you next to it, too. So there we right go. next to your name. <laughs> so, Donald, where can people find you and Greenhouse online? Absolutely. So first for Greenhouse, I would say greenhouse.io is our website. Uh, you can find us on most social media handles as Greenhouse or Greenhouse Software. So I welcome opportunities for people to connect uh, with our team. And then for me specifically, you can find me on all social media sites as Proximity Night. Uh, So Proximity spelled exactly how it's traditionally spelled. And then my last name, K-N-I-G-H-T, no underscores, no periods, just Proximity Night. And the idea there is I welcome the opportunity to be a bridge in other people's careers. And so if there's an opportunity for me to build proximity, Bruce, with any of your listeners and be, you know, a helpful addition to them navigating their career aspirations, I welcome that opportunity. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all your contact info in the show notes. 
So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Donald and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you like to leave ratings because we always want to know that we're bringing great content to you. Also, if this is your very first time listening to our podcast and you either came here because you're already a super fan of Donald and you just had to hear what he was going to say, or you were just hungry for the topic because you saw that this is something really interesting and compelling, but now you want to hear more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Pack podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.